Where's the LA guy? No way. What? You just walk in late like... <laughs> okay, so um, um, Sheldon and Jane and Phoebe are in Hawaii, uh, and they say they're on a mission trip, and they send some photographs. I can't show those photographs and call it a mission trip. <laughs> so that's out of question. Uh, if they send some slightly hardship photos, I'll put them on, but right now what I have won't cut it. Um, and then Derek's gone to Atlanta, so he's meeting, uh, he'll be meeting with Blessin, who runs the house church in Atlanta over the next few days. And uh, yeah, next week there are some guys coming from Vernon. The week after that there are some guys coming from New York and somewhere else. So... Alrighty, <coughs> we've been talking about um, the presence of God, and we have been saying that God is already present. God is already present. God is not just already present, He's already and always present. He's already and always present, and it is we who need to be awakened to God's presence. God is already and always present. Ever since Christ came, ever since he inaugurated the kingdom ever since he left the Holy Spirit here. He is already and he is always present. You know, this is so unconnected, but if we can leave for places ahead of time, like if you have a 10 o'clock appointment and you give yourself enough time to get there, you will be more aware of the presence of God. In our rush, we miss out. We'll suddenly be more aware of the presence of God if we gave ourselves time. Something that has changed radically in my life. Because I'm always leaving it to the last minute and then I'm rush, rush, rush. Not, not mindful of the presence of God around me. Because he'll begin to show us things that we wouldn't otherwise see. That's just on the side. He's already and always present. And it is we who need to be awakened to God's presence. Problem is we habitually live in the past or in the future or in present anxieties. And so what happens when we live like that, and this is how man has learned how to live, then we live either in fear or in fretting or in fantasizing. These are the three places we occupy when we don't live fully present before God. Rarely are we fully present before God. God is already present. What if I was fully present before God? But because we live in the past, as in sometimes past regrets or things that happened in the past, or because we live in present anxieties, or we, because we live in, in the future, what's going to happen tomorrow? How am I going to meet this person? What's going to happen at work? How am I going to deal with this? Because we are living in these three places, we are usually living in fear, or we are living in fretting, or we are living in fantasizing. And I mean that in a good way, as in 
oh, this could happen. What if this happened? And so these are the three places we live in. And in the process, what happens is we are not fully present before God. Because he is fully present before us. We are not, not fully present before God. Shoot. We are not fully present before God. It's like when um, your kid is come home for a few hours, he stays somewhere else or she stays somewhere else, and they come home, and they are there, but they're on their phone. Mohini is smiling, I don't know why. <laughs> Where your sons come home or your daughters come home, and, and they are there, but they're not there because they're not fully present. Uh, there is something to being fully present, eh? Because he is fully present. I find this very um, sad sometimes when I think along it that line that he who is the God of the universe and who is the creator of everything, who has a million things to do, is fully present for me. And I am not fully present for him. It's very odd. He humbles himself to be fully present for me. And so, we can ignore his presence, but we don't realize, and this is something C.S. Lewis said, you can ignore his presence, but we don't realize that the world is crowded with him. <laughs> we can ignore his presence, but the world is crowded with him. Crowded with him. Crazy. He's... The world is crowded with him. This is why I said, if, if we get to places well ahead of time, you will see the world that is crowded with him. Without trying to sound very poetic or anything, you'll, find, you'll see the bird on the tree. You will see the girl walking to work with her uh, airpods on, smiling. You will see the girl who's walking and crying. You will see, because the world is crowded with him. And we are his eyes, his hands, his ears, his feet. And occasionally he'll ask us to stop and do something awkward. and will be the thrill of your life. But because we are under this pressure of time and we are always late, maybe not we, many of us are either rushing or late for many valid and invalid reasons, it is not possible to see the world that is crowded with him. And he's incognito. You won't, you won't notice him. It's like those kings that would dress up as... Um, beggars of the poor and walk along uh, the streets just to see how the kingdom is doing. He's literally like that. The king is in disguise. But it is not a disguise that's difficult to unmask. But it is also a disguise that is easy to miss. On the road to Emmaus, they missed him. They did not know. Till he gave them a very obvious sign where he broke bread and suddenly they knew. So he's easy to unmask, and I just pray, God, that we become aware of his presence because he's always already there. He's crowding the earth with his presence. But he does it incognito, so you are not aware of it. Guys, never forget that this is his world. His universe. 
his creation, his dominion. It is his. <laughs> why wouldn't he be responsible for it? Why wouldn't he visit? When he made Eden, why was he coming down? And after all this, he, he makes us in his image. Why won't he come down? Why won't he come down? It's his world, his creation. You, 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 you redecorate your living room and you visit it. You come and stand there saying, ah, it looks so beautiful. Why? Because you put things together and it's coming together and you marvel at it. You buy a new car and you come and look at the car. When nobody's looking, you go smell the leather twice. And if we can do it with the things that we acquire, how much more a God who made it for him to come down to Eden. It wasn't like he was saying, oops, I got a four o'clock appointment with Adam. Let's do five minutes with Adam. No, it wasn't like that. He liked coming to his creation, his universe, his dominion, his world. And then spend time with the one who, made, who was made in his image to take care of all the things that he had made. So for him to do it then and to do it now is very natural. Only he had to find a way to do it by sending Christ and then sending the Holy Spirit by cleansing us so that he can do the same thing now. He's crowding the earth. Can we awaken? Can we open our eyes? And then not only did he do all this, he then bought and brought And there's a word the Bible uses for bought and brought, which is reconciled. Reconciled. That's a word used for bought and brought. Reconciled is when um, an accountant balances both sides of the ledger. That's reconciling. The debts and the credits are now taken care of. He then bought and brought us back. He then bought and brought us and all things, not just us, all things, in heaven and earth, back. How did he do it? By his blood. Where does it say so? Colossians 1, 19 and 20. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. Let's just read it. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven on earth and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Message, so spacious is God, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people, things, animals, atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down on the cross. Beautifully, everything being brought back together. He's done this already, it is his world, he is present. Can I awaken myself and be aware? He's already here, and if, if there's anybody who should know and see him, it's us, because we have his spirit. He makes himself known to the world through us. 
He can do it sovereignly too, but he chooses us to do this. This is an important line that we need to remember. Periodic awareness is not God's design. So do not settle for it. Periodic awareness of God is not God's design. Don't pat yourself on the back if you're periodically aware of God. There was a time in our lives where we could pat ourselves on the back and say, yeah, I was aware of God. I was so aware of his presence. Let's stop patting ourselves on the back because it was not his design. (coughs) If a child doesn't break a plate every time he carries it, you can pat him on his back while he's two or three or four. After that, you don't say, well done, you managed two feet without breaking. No, so... Periodic awareness of God is not God's design. So let's not pat ourselves on our back saying, well done, we were aware of him. Let's say, ah, shucks, we can be more aware of him. This is important, eh? Because we settle for less. So at work, at home, learn to be more aware. And we'll get there, guys. We'll get there. Not because we have some great ability, eh? It's the kindness of God and the gift of God. His presence is his gift. His presence is his kindness. We can work with him on this, but it's not some great achievement that we will be able to pull off. We don't remember that Moses was at work when he saw the burning bush. We think Moses was just doing nothing. If you ask Evan's dad, Evan's dad used to have a farm, he'll tell you how difficult work on a farm is. It's not getting up in the morning and milking a cow and watching the sheep bleat and writing a poem. That's really not how farms work. I used to think like that. Wow, what a life to live on a farm. Ravens and doves and sheep buying and cows moving and you just sit on your porch and sing old McDonald's. But I believe believe it's really hard work. And so in the midst of hard work, Moses at a distance sees a bush that is a light. And for a bush to burst into fire in the desert is not a big deal, it happens. Only he watches and he realizes that this thing is not being consumed. And then he makes statements like, let me go and see what is happening. And that is how he gets aware of God. Even at home, we think that at home we are more aware of God. Not really. Mary and Martha were at home. One was aware, one was not. When we become aware of God, we recognize the intent of his visit. When we become aware of God, we recognize the intent of his visit. And once we know the intent of his visit, everything changes. Because everything in you now is geared to meet the intent of his visit. Eutychus, (coughs) Eutychus, if if you're new here, then every time I shout Eutychus, sleeping, and I don't want anybody else to know, and that if you sleep further, you might fall off the bench, so I'm just warning you. Yeah? Um, and I won't look at you, so you know, if I'm looking that way, then the person is here. Yeah? Eutychus? No. <laughs> Go ahead. So you said that if I am aware of God, then I know his intent. Would it I have an intent? 
uh, when you have an intent to meet with him, he is always present, always ready. But then once he, once I connect, I, it's good to know his agenda, because sometimes his agenda may trump mine. Yeah. Many times in the Bible, uh, people expected him to show one way, and he would show up another way, and it would change their lives. God always takes the initiative to draw us into his presence. Eh? So don't be worried about, oh, if we don't do this, his presence won't be here. His presence is always here. His presence is already here. And great, his presence, he takes the initiative to draw us. Always taking the initiative to draw us. But why? Because he's a father, right? The father takes the initiative to draw the uh, child into his presence. And he knows when the child is warming up. I mean, just now, um, the kids were downstairs. Just a few minutes ago, the kids were downstairs, and you could hear the kids um, making noises. And um, what's her name? Rachel immediately knew the sound of Shiloh. Each parent will know the sound of their child, even if it's downstairs. The father knows when my heart is warming up, and he takes the initiative to draw me in. There's something called the friendship of presence. Cultivate it, the friendship of presence. Not just the friendship of God, the friendship of presence. Just having an awareness of him, the friendship of presence. And he's, he's the one who draws us in. Eh? He'll never back off from that. Till you reject him, he won't back off from it. Everything is almost spread like a banquet table for us. Yeah, so um, we had briefly mentioned this last time and we didn't talk about it. Um, when it comes to the presence of God, there is our um, expression, or our experience of it and God's expression of it. And so sometimes when I'm really sensitive, could be because something happened in my life, could be because I'm fasting, could be because worship touched my heart or some great gratitude. At times like that, the presence of God that is always there will become so intense for me because my experience of his presence now is different. Is that no, periodic awareness is when we go in and out of God. We are aware of him sometimes and then for 20 hours we are not and then four hours we are. That's what I mean by periodic awareness. And then there is the expression of God. Sometimes God deliberately turns up strong. In, in some manifest way he turns up strong. Those times, doesn't matter if a person is dead, they'll feel it. So there's that part too. Always remember, eh? we, we don't hear this part in, uh, during the Easter service. When he rose from the dead, tombs broke open and people that were dead began to walk into Jerusalem. Must have freaked people out. Ooh, grandpa's coming back. Because <laughs> they could see grandpa walking. And it says they came into Jerusalem. And so, what do we mean by present before God? Present before God. Our inner man, as in the real Jacob, Jacob whose spirit is one with the Holy Spirit, our inner man can always be aware of him. We have that capacity. Why do we sing that song, Our soul, Lord, to you surrendered, all I am is yours, because the soul gets in the way. 
But our spirit man, our inner man, has the ability to be always aware of God. Why? Because that's where God dwells. His spirit and my spirit have become one. That's where he dwells. How can my spirit not be aware of him? It's that my soul takes over. My fretting and my fantasizing and my fears and, my, uh, and, and the deadlines and clocks and control, all that takes over and it gets lost. But being aware of him, our inner man can always be present. Not can always, is always present with God. Emmanuel is in there. Ephesians talks about this. If you go to Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3, verse 16 to 19, uh, the advantages of being present before God. In Ephesians 3, 16 to 19, basically what will happen if we are able to do this is you'll be filled with the fullness of God. As in you'll be filled with an awareness of, oh, shucks, the king of the universe lives in me. Filled with the fullness of God. Second, you will know the love of Christ for you that surpasses all understanding, that surpasses all knowledge. And three, you will know the breadth, the height, the depth of his love for you and for others. So let's read Ephesians 3, 16 to 19. I ask you, I ask him, God, to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all Christians the extravagant dim dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth, test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. It is possible. It is possible. These are not things that Paul is saying, one day when you get to heaven. It's now. We'll get there. Because God is on this. Now do you understand why David was a man ahead of times? When you look at Psalm 139, 7 to 10, what's he saying? How did this kid, or maybe he was older by then, how does he know? Where can I go from your presence, oh God? If I build my house in the deepest of depths, you're there. If I take the wings of, the, of a bird and fly off in the morning, you're there. How? Psalm 139, verse 7 onwards. I'll read from the message and then from NIV. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you would find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I say to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. Listen to it from the NIV. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, your light becomes night around me, even there your hand will guide me. So he knew it. Presence is God's kindness and gift to us. Eh? So here are some things you can ask. And uh, these are questions I saw somewhere. Where have I met him today? Where have I met him today? And where have I missed him today? Where have I missed him today? Identify the places that you find it easy to meet him. And by places, I don't mean locations. I mean, what is it that makes it easy to meet him? And what is it that makes it easy to miss him? There are patterns in our life that cause this to happen. Eh? Where do I meet him? Where do I miss him? Another question is, what helps me pay attention? What helps me pay attention? What hinders me from paying attention? What hinders me from paying attention? What helps me to pay attention? What hinders me? Uh, the reason I brought up the time thing is because I suddenly realized that if I am not hurrying, I seem to pay more attention. Simple. And so what if I actually, and who am I paying attention to? Not to myself, not even to God, but him crowding the earth incognito. You become aware of it. And it's so beautiful. I can never understand when mothers say, oh, I wish my child wasn't growing up so fast. In my mind it is, isn't it better for you? But then, as they turn 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, there's almost this regret, ah, this child is becoming a person. Somehow, this will give us back the amazing beauty of God on earth. It'll give us, it'll give us back. Try it, guys. We'll all get this. We'll all get this. I'm so grateful that we'll get there as a people. This is not going to be one or two. God didn't waste the last 16 years, man. And everybody, regardless of whether you came yesterday or 16 years ago, we all get the same wages, one dinari. How do I increase? So what helps me pay attention? What hinders me from paying attention? And then the last question is, how do I increase? How do I increase practices that help me pay attention? How do I increase practices that help me pay attention? And how do I reduce practices that hinder attention? And how do I reduce practices that hinder. And if you go down this path, guys, it's only a matter of time where um, <clears throat> that whole idea of periodic awareness becomes a thing of the past. And so for each of us, it'll be different. So try your own system, eh? 
I'm learning my own ways. And what I'm finding out as I do that is I'm, I'm beginning to recognize I'm beginning to recognize God's presence more as I practice certain disciplines to make me aware. And his presence is reward in itself. You're not looking for, I want this. If I have his presence, I will have this. If I, no. His presence is. Everything else is gravy. Like I said, if Jesus was living in your house, really? You would want... What? Bread? Fish? What do you want? One bread and one fish is enough. Taxes? Not a problem. Accountants like certain people in this room would be out of work. Nurses, doctors? Collapse. Security? Warrington building management? Done. Nobody comes into your house without permission. Dogs still would be their cats. Gone. <laughs> Moving on. I, yesterday I had this strange thought. What if, for all the things I've said, when I get to heaven, I'll be given a cat as a pet? <laughs> And I get to the pearly gates, meow, meow. <laughs> I'll say, Peter, is this a real place? <laughs> I thought they were all in the other place. Don't forget, the lion is just a big cat. No, 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 no. All right, this theology is getting freaky now. <laughs> Now we move on to something else about his presence, which we touched on last time. His presence is holy. His presence is holy. His presence is holy. The word holy, as we said last time, is set apart. Set apart or cut off, as in it is, it is cut off from everything else. It's separate. So if you go to Habakkuk chapter 1, Verse 13, Habakkuk 1.13. Habakkuk 1.13. I was surprised to see this verse. I didn't know it was there. Habakkuk 1.13. There's the first part, part, the first. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate long, wrongdoing. That is the kind of holiness we are talking about. Eh? Your eyes are too pure to tolerate evil. You cannot look on wrongdoing. First John 1 John 1.5 1 John 1.5 This is in essence the message we heard from Christ and we are passing on to you. Crazy, eh? This, is, this, in essence, if you were to distill it, is the message we heard from Christ and are passing on to you. God is light, pure light. There's not a trace of darkness in him. 
That's how holy he is. And so, in the tent of meeting in Exodus 26, or later on uh, in the temple, which you read about in 1 Kings 6 and 8, there was a place beyond the holy place which was called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, there was no light. It was dark. The only light there was the Shekinah of God. You can imagine, for an Israelite, the, the greatest experience in life would have been to see God, and the most terrifying experience in life would have been to see God. So on one hand, they longed to see the God of this ark. On the other hand, they knew that those that had attempted had died. And so you're talking about a place called the Holy of Holies where there is no light except the Shekinah of God where a man used to enter once a year. So for, for Israel, this idea of holy or set apart or cut off, was, they were very acutely aware of it. They were acutely aware of it. So the greatest hope of an Israelite was to see God and the greatest fear was to see God because absolute holiness was both attractive and terrifying. And one of the desires God has, this holy God has, is from Genesis to Revelation, what he keeps hoping for, and he will get what he is hoping for, is that can I have for myself a possession, a people who are at home in my holiness and in my presence? I want them to be at home in my holiness and presence, but we can only be at home in his holiness and presence when we understand how holy he is. And that I'm hoping will to some extent happen by the Holy Spirit using the scriptures to help us, see? Eh? Because we don't understand this. What is the terrifying holiness of God? As attractive as it is. So the core idea behind holiness is one, absolute purity. Absolute purity. Absolute purity. I don't even know what that means. One of the ways I can understand absolute purity being tainted is, I, I gave this example somewhere else, what if there was a fresh glass of just fresh milk and then in it there are these tiny legs of a spider or the tail of a lizard or the back end of a cockroach or the proboscis of a fly just floating there. But everything else about it is absolutely white, fresh. There's nothing wrong with the milk except these little things. And yet we wouldn't drink it. We think of purity as it's okay to have a few contaminants. He thinks of purity as I cannot even look upon it. It's intolerable for him. We don't understand that. I pray God that the Holy Spirit helps us understand it. Because it, it's almost impossible to comprehend that kind of purity. But one of the things about holy is absolute purity. Absolute purity. The second is, and this one took me by surprise, the second is, holy is also that God is perfectly good and permanently good. Have you been convicted deeply that you're leaving? 
perfectly good and permanently good. So goodness of God and holiness go hand in hand, eh? And we don't necessarily think so. So every time we think he is not good, we are resentful. We are actually violating, in a sense, his holiness. We don't realize that. The glory of God, the holy of God, is the goodness of God. And he's perfectly good and permanently good. And we as humans struggle with it, so sometimes we assign blame to him. And it actually is an undoing of his holy. Perfectly good, permanently good. And now when you look at these definitions, you realize, my God, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Why do... A strange thing happened um, 20 years ago. I was at Pilgrim Baptist and there was this guy who was leading the pastors who had come for the conference in repentance and I had already repented that morning. And so he's saying, um, so if, you, if there is sin in your life, uh, repent right now. Just lift up your hands and acknowledge sin. And I'm refusing to lift up my hands because I'm thinking to myself, I just repent. Um, I got no sin. And then as time went by and I started learning more, I realized that just because I may not see sin doesn't mean that I am now perfectly holy. Yes, I am perfectly holy. He has made me perfectly holy. But, but there is something to understand the holiness of God that will make us understand all have fallen short. When you're talking about absolute purity, what does this even mean? What does it mean when perfectly good and permanently good? Third one. God always tells the truth. That's part of his holiness. So when he says, I am the truth, the life, and the way, it is that his ways are holy, his life is holy. God always tells the truth. And that just undoes me. What did it mean from this moment on to always tell the truth? What kind of God is this? This is why in 1 John 1, 5 it says, He is light. He is pure light, and there is no darkness in him. Beautiful, eh? What can, I mean, what a privilege to serve a God like this. Not a God who's stealing people's clothes and stuff like that. There are gods that do that, by the way. At least the legend that they have attached to their gods says that. Next one. If God is holy, then... Justice and mercy are part of his holiness. And one is not sacrificed for the other. And one is not sacrificed for the other. So when we talk about divine justice, we are talking about a standard that God sets that these actions will have these consequences. That's divine justice. That these actions will have these consequences. And it will be judged by a God who is not partial and is not uh, prone to bribery. But he's always just. The Bible says so. Divine justice is God's standard that these actions must bear these consequences. It's not an Old Testament thing that disappears. Because in Galatians 6 we see, God is not mocked. What a man sows, he reaps. If you sow to the flesh, 
you reap destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap Zoe kind of life. So he doesn't change it. But what he does is, because of divine justice now, God has to be punished. That is the beauty of it. He is so holy that justice and mercy, righteousness and love are part of holy. And therefore, because God is so holy, he cannot sacrifice one for the other. He can't say, uh, because this is the argument of the world, if your God is love, then why would he judge? Because he is holy. And because he is holy, the God who judges now has to punish himself so that he can show mercy. And mercy, remember, is always undeserved. The moment mercy is deserved, mercy is not mercy. And then he's saying, your father in heaven is holy, so you be holy too. What is he saying? These are your standards, guys. It's not that we should not judge, but after judging, we should show mercy. And if that requires punishing yourself or the cost is paid by you, so be it. The church is either showing too much mercy or too much judgment. And neither is holy. Holy is both. And then the last one for now, and I'm, uh, this is not an exhaustive list, um, so you can add more to it, but for now, God's holiness divides good and evil. God's holiness. If God's holiness wasn't there, there would not be good and evil. You can't set the standard. You can't interpret the standard. You can't Greek and Hebrew the standard. We are not talking about how do I find a loophole in the scripture that will allow me to do this. We are talking about how do I reflect the nature of God. Huge difference. One is how do I find a loophole in the scripture that will give me the liberty to do this. Grant me the permission to do this. Paul instead said everything is permissive but not everything is beneficial. Reflect the nature of a holy God. And therefore, what is it to reflect the nature of a holy God? This is when cultures don't determine what is kosher and what is not. We said he cannot, and I want us to know this, he cannot tolerate evil in his presence. He cannot tolerate evil in his presence, and yet he embraces me. Crazy, eh? This is a God who cannot stand darkness, who cannot stand an iota evil, and yet he embraces me. Why? Because there's this freshly slain blood that is before him. Perhaps if we go down this road of holy, we become more aware of the sacrifice, more aware of this principle of representation. Where in those days, the priest would enter in once into the Holy of Holies and he would offer a sacrifice for all the nation. And now we have a freshly slain... I mean, if you were to walk into the throne room, you would see your blood marks on the carpet. Because you cannot approach the throne except for the freshly slain blood of Christ. That blood continuously speaks. It's not the blood of bulls and goats. 
as you walk towards the throne room, if you look behind, you would see the blood marks of your footprints. I'm just giving you a picture. It's not a biblical thing. Why? Because that's the only way you can enter. So the idea of blood and the idea of someone representing us was very normal for the Old Testament guys, but for us, we don't realize. Israel was aware of it. Um, It's not a fancy word. It's a very simple word, which we don't use. Mediatorial blood, as in someone's blood mediated for me, which is why he cannot tolerate evil, but he can fully embrace me. I think if we become aware of this, we won't want to sin more. It goes back to Romans 6. Do you really want to um, spurn the blood that was shed for you? Should I trample underfoot the blood of the Son of God? Hebrews. Because suddenly you realize, how does one who does not tolerate evil embrace me? Because I know the unclean intents of my heart, my mind, my actions, my hands, my mouth, my heart. How? Amazing God, eh? Holy presence, man. In the New Testament, always remember this, it's such some beautiful phrases. In the New Testament, what God cleanses God fills. In the New Testament, what God cleanses, God fills. So he cleanses us. And after he cleanses us, he decides, now that you're cleansed, you must be filled. And so the holiness of God, how do we now participate in the holiness of God? We participate in the holiness of God through the Holy Spirit. What he cleanses, he fills. We participate in the holiness of God through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brought holiness where there was none. Remember, when Christ died, our sins were forgiven. But it's the Holy Spirit that brings holiness. When Christ died, we died. What was, something was put to death. But it's the Holy Spirit that brings holy life to us. And if you want a pure heart, always remember every time you ask God to cleanse you, according to the scriptures, every time you ask God to cleanse you, you're beginning again with a pure heart. So you have so many opportunities in a day to start with a pure heart. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? One who has a pure heart and a clean hands. Well then, we have an opportunity every time. I'll get you the scriptures. I don't have it off. And I was just reading those scriptures. Our hearts cleansed, our consciences cleansed with the blood of Christ so that we can stand before him pure. And so, so we get this opportunity to start again with Give me clean hands, give me pure heart. Because we carry the presence of a holy God. Holy God. Now you can see why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.15, he says, what, what do you have in common with things of darkness? What accord do you have with idols, with things of darkness, with the sins of Belial? What accord do you have? In 1 Corinthians 6, he says, uh, or Romans 6, he says, why would you join yourself with a prostitute? What accord do you have? You have one flesh with, your spirit has become one with Christ. Why would you pollute that with anything else? In his mind it is, 
The Holy Spirit has, you were not holy, now you've been made holy. Why would you undo that? That's how he thinks. Let me conclude. The awareness of the holiness of God is difficult to describe. The awareness of the holiness of God is difficult to describe. The awareness of the holiness of God is difficult to describe. But it'll begin to show. If you're face to face with a holy God, and I believe that he'll bring us to that place, individually and together, if you're face to face with a holy God, you are face to face with something that is not of this world. It is something supernatural. And my hope is that in our desire to seek this and have face-to-face meetings with a terrifyingly holy God, that we will be changed, that I will be changed. That will begin to show in my life and it will begin to show in your life and then it will begin to show through our lives. You should yearn to show this for us. I must yearn to let this happen in my life so you can see it. You must yearn to let this happen in your life so we can see it. My intent is I want to beat you to it. Your intent is, let me see if I can beat Jacob to it. How can this be possible? Only if we keep meeting this holy God. Let's just go over scriptures and then we'll end. Just open your Bibles and we can, or your your phones and we can just go through through these scriptures where we see this holy God. eh? So let's start with Revelations 1. Revelations 1. What are we trying to see? We are trying to say that this God who we are talking about is uh, when we face is holy, it's out of this world, it's supernatural, it changes you, it is uh, hard to describe, but it is real. So Revelations 1, 10 to 18. Revelations 1, 10 to 18. I'll read it slow. Uh, it was Sunday. I might read some from the message, some from different places. It was Sunday. I was in the spirit praying. I heard a loud voice behind me, trumpet clear, piercing. I turned and saw the voice. I saw a gold menorah with seven branches. In the center, the son of man in a robe and gold breastplate, hair a blizzard of white, eyes pouring fire blaze. Both feet furnace-fired bronze, his voice a cataract or a mighty waterfall, right hand holding seven stars, his mouth a sharp biting sword, his face a perigee sun. I saw this and I fainted dead at his feet. His right hand pulled me up, upright, and his voice reassured me, don't fear, I am the first and I am the last. I am alive, I died, but I came to life, and my life is now forever. See these keys in my hand. They open and lock death's doors. They open and lock hell's gates. Let's go to Revelation um, 4, 8 to 12. Revelation 4, 8 to 12. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. And all these have to do with someone or the other on earth 
uh, coming face to face with a holy God. And what transpires then in the Old and the New Testament? Revelations 4, 8 to 12. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is present here right now in our midst and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Let's go to Revelation 5, 1 to 7. And as I read this, remember he is here. Huh? Revelation 5, 1 to 7. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp with golden bowls, and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, because you were slain and with your blood you purchased after God, for God, persons from every tribe and language. Then if you go to the last few verses, 11 to 14, it says in a loud voice they were saying to him, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Guys, this thing of worship is so normal when we confront holiness. Eh? The usual response to the holiness of God was always prostration, prostration and worship. It was always that way. Let's take another scripture. Luke 5, 8. Luke 5, 8 onwards. Luke 5, 8 onwards. Starting in verse 6. <clears throat> when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in, other, in the other boat to come and help them. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and I can't handle this holiness. Crazy, eh? Master, leave. I'm a sinner and I can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. What a response to the holiness of God. Let's take another one. Ezekiel 1, 26. Ezekiel 1. Ezekiel 1, 26 to 2-2. Two, two. Ezekiel one twenty six <coughs> to chapter two verse two. 
Above the dome, there was something that looked like a throne, sky blue like a sapphire, with a human-like figure towering above the throne. From what I could see, from the waist up, it looked like burnished bronze, and from the waist down like a blazing fire. Brightness everywhere. The way a rainbow springs out of the sky on a rainy day, that's what it was like. It turned out to be the glory of God. When I saw all this, I fell to my knees, my face to the ground, and then I heard a voice. It said, Son of man, stand up. I have something to say to you. The moment I heard the voice, the Spirit entered me and put me on my feet, and he spoke to me, and I listened. What if we get to either in our spirit or in some other way begin to see the holiness of God like this? It was in the Old and the New Testament. It, was, it happened to people on whom the Spirit dwelt and didn't live in. And in the case of people in whom the Spirit lived. Let's take another scripture. Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 6. Isaiah 6. <clears throat> in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the master sitting on a throne, high exalted. The train of his robes filled the temple. Angel seraphs hovered above him, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two their feet, with two they flew, and they called back and forth, one to the other, Holy, holy, holy is God of the angel armies. His bright glory fills the whole earth. The foundations trembled at the sound of the angel's voice. The whole house filled with smoke. I said to myself, woe is me, I'm as good as dead. Every word I've ever spoken is tainted, blasphemous even. And the people I live with talk the same way, using the words that are corrupt and desecrate. And here I've looked God in the face, the king, the God of angel armies. And then one of the angel seraphs flew to me. He held a live coal he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with the coal and said, look, this coal has touched your lips, gone, your guilt. Your sins wiped out. Let's look at another one, Matthew 17. And we're not even halfway through, eh? So if you're packing up your Bible, unpack it. <laughs> Matthew 17. Matthew 17, verse 1 to 7. Six days later, three of them saw that glory. Jesus took Peter and the brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain. His appearance changed from the inside out, right before their eyes. Sunlight poured out from his face. His clothes were filled with light. What happened that day, man? They were going with this carpenter. He was Jesus of Nazareth, perhaps shorter than them, perhaps not as good looking as them. And they somehow make it up the mountain. Peter probably got there ahead of Jesus. And then they're standing on this mountain and his face begins to shine as bright as the sun. Then they realized that Moses and Elijah were also there in deep conversation with him. Peter broke in, Master, this is a great moment. What do you think if I built three memorials here on the mountain? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was going on like this, babbling. And sometimes the response to <laughs> majesty is babbling because you don't know what else to do. <laughs> Master, this, uh, while he was still going on like this, babbling, a light, radiant cloud enveloped them and sounding from deep in the cloud a voice, this is my son, marked by love. Focus on my focus of my delight. Listen to him. When the disciples heard it, they fell flat on their faces, scared to death. Let's take another one. Second Peter one. Second Peter one, and that's a continuation of what we just heard. 
2 Peter 1, 16 to 19. 2 Peter 1, 16 to 19. The same Peter who was babbling there is now making a statement here. We weren't, you know, just wishing on a star when we laid the facts out before you regarding the powerful return of our master, Jesus Christ. We were there for the preview. We saw it with our own eyes. Jesus resplendent with light from God the Father. As the voice of majestic glory spoke, this is my son marked by my love, focus of all my delight. We were there on the holy mountain with him. We heard the voice out of heaven with our very own ears. We couldn't be more sure of what we saw and heard, God's glory, God's voice. This is what happens when you come face to face with the holy of God. Okay, another one. Exodus 19, 11 to 22. Exodus 19, 11 to 22. Exodus 19, 11 to 22. On the third day, make sure they're fully prepared because on the third day, God will come down on Mount Sinai and make his presence known to all the peoples. This is one of the first times God is turning up. No other nation has witnessed this. The same God, eh? the same King Jesus who is present here right now is the same God who's doing this as we read. It's just about 4,000 years ago, which for him is like a... like nothing, like 40 days. Post boundaries for people all around, telling them, warning, don't climb the mountain, don't even touch its edge. Whoever touches the mountain dies a certain death. Why? We're talking about his holiness. Verse 13. No one is to touch that person. He's to be stoned. That's right, stoned or shot with arrows, shot to death. Animal or man, whichever, put to death. A long blast from the horn will signal that it's safe to climb the mountain. Moses went down the mountain to the people and prepared them for the holy meeting. They gave their clothes a good scrubbing. Be ready in three days. On the third day, verse 16, on the third day, at daybreak, there were loud claps of thunder, flashes of lightning. Where do we hear that? We hear that again in Revelations 4. We sing that. Worthy is the peals of thunder, claps of... This already happened on Mount Sinai. Same Jesus is present here right now, listening to our, the, his, his word being read. Mount Sinai was all smoke because God had come down on it. Claps of thunder, flashes of lightning, thick cloud covering the mountain, ear-piercing trumpet. Everyone in the camp shuddered in fear. Moses led the people out of the camp to meet God. They stood at attention at the base of the mountain. Sinai was all smoke because God had come down on it as fire. Smoke poured from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain shuddered in huge spasms. The trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered in thunder. God descended to the peak of Mount Sinai. God called Moses up to the peak and Moses climbed. Crazy man. This is the holy of God. This is what he's inviting us to man. Come be part of this presence he's saying. Not the periodic awareness of me as God my buddy. There's a movie I saw, there's a Jesus who they show winking with his hand like this so that he looks more friendly. We're not talking about that God. We're talking about holy. Same Mount Sinai God. He's saying, come, this is what I want. This is holy presence. 
Next scripture, Hebrews 12. Where now Paul is the one who takes the same thing that we read. And in verse 18 he begins to say, Listen guys, we don't have to be afraid like the Israelites were. Look at what he says. Unlike your ancestors, verse 18, you didn't come to Mount Sinai, all that volcanic blaze and earth-shaking rumble to hear God speak. The ear-splitting words and soul-shaking message terrified them and they begged them to stop. When they heard the words, if an animal touches a mountain, it's as good as dead, they were afraid to move. Even Moses was terrified. Nah, that's not your experience at all. You've come to Mount Zion, the city where the living God resides. The city where the living God resides. Which is the city? Us. This God who cannot tolerate evil, who cannot look on darkness, is the God who lives amongst us and is here right now. Can we embrace this holy? We will. We will because he will help us. Exodus 40. Exodus 40. We're getting towards the end. Mia, you want to come up? Exodus 40. Exodus 40, verse 34. Just give me a few more minutes and we'll sing. Exodus 40. Come, you can sit here. Exodus 40, verse 34 to 38. Do you think we'll experience this, guys? I'm not looking to this as a mark, but what if this happens as we begin to learn how to handle the holy of God? The cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of God filled the dwelling. Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud was upon it, and the glory of God filled the dwelling. Whenever the cloud lifted from the dwelling, the people of Israel set out on their travels. The cloud of God was over the dwelling during the day and night, is that possible? Yeah, it was. It did happen in the Hebrides revival where the presence of God was so heavy people didn't know what to do. All they could do was go on their knees. But what if this happens and it becomes something that we hold sacred so that when people that do not know the presence of God come in, they'll say, ah shucks, God is in this place. Don't get bored with these scriptures. I know it's a lot, but uh, we've got to learn how to not get bored with these scriptures. Second Chronicles 7, 1 to 3. Second Chronicles 7, 1 to 3. When Solomon finished praying, a bolt of lightning out of heaven struck the whole burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of God filled the temple. The glory was so dense that the priests couldn't get in. God so filled the temple, there was no room for the priests. God so filled the temple that there was no room for the priests. Acts 9, 3 to 7. Acts 9, 3 to 7. What do you think happened to Paul? Acts 9, 3 to 7. Acts 9, 3 to 7. And after that, there's one more scripture. Acts 9, 3 to 7. He set off. When he got to the outskirts of Damascus, he was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. As he fell to the ground, he heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? He said, who are you, master? I'm Jesus, the one you're hunting down. I want you to get up and enter the city. In the next city, you'll be told what to do. His companions stood there dumbstruck. They could hear the sound, but they couldn't see anyone. That is the holy of God turning up. 
where enemies become humbled and enemies become followers. This is what we're being asked to handle, guys. It's no small deal. We are helpless before this. It'll have to be the Spirit of God that enables us. And we must do it together. We must do it together. And so sometimes where circumcision is required, I'll bring a flint knife. And it might hurt. But we do this together. Last scripture. Ezekiel 43, 1 to 12. Ezekiel 43, 1 to 12. He's here, Subin. The man brought me to the east gate. Oh, the bright glory of the God of Israel rivered out of the east sounding like the roar of flood waters and the earth itself glowed with bright glory it looked just like what i had seen when he had come to destroy the city exactly like what i had seen earlier at kebar river and again i fell face to the ground the bright glory of god poured into the temple through the east gate the spirit put me on my feet led me to the inside courtyard and all the bright glory of god filled the temple I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple while the man stood beside me. He said, Son of man, this is the place for my throne, the place I'll plant my feet. This is the place where I'll live with the Israelites forever. Neither the people of Israel nor their kings will ever again drag my holy name through the mud with their whoring and their no-god idols, their kings set up all the wayside shrines. When they set up their worship shrines right alongside mine with only a thin wall between them, they dragged my name through the mud with their obscene and vile worship. Is it any wonder that I destroyed them in my anger? So let them get rid of all their whoring ways and their stinking no-god idols introduced by their kings, and I'll move in and live with them forever. Son of man, tell the people of Israel all about the temple so they'll be dismayed by their wayward lives. Get them to go over the layout. That'll bring them up short. Show them the whole plan of the temple, its ins and outs, the proportions, regulations, the laws. Draw a picture so, they can, so that they can see the design and meaning and live by its design and intent. I love the next line. This is the law of the temple. As it radiates from the top of the mountain, everything around it becomes holy ground. This is the law and the meaning of the temple. Why are we learning these things? Why are we going through scriptures? Why are we trying to define this? Because when this becomes the law of temple, God begins to radiate and his holiness becomes evident and we carry it. That's why it was important to go through all these scriptures. We are not talking about some Hebrides revival residue. We are talking about a God who's always been like this and longs to be like this and is willing to be like this. So as Mia and I sing this song, don't be in a hurry to leave. We are way ahead of time. And um, we'll just repeat the first few verses over and over again. Just know his holy presence. Yeah, just know his holy presence. Can you turn this on for her? I'll come and sit next to you. You can sit and sing. Or do you want to stand and sing? Um. Stand or sit? Stand? Okay, let's stand.
Okay, so as we sing, I just want us to know that he's hearing. And I just love the fact that Mia is singing with us, but strangely enough, Mia is not the main attraction. He's hearing. And so, um, can you put the words up? So Jesus, we just want to acknowledge your presence here. Only this time we want to acknowledge your presence as holy as me and I sing. He is here. One sec, let them put up the words, Mia. lower my volume a little and give her more you are here working in our midst we worship you father we bless you Abba. just those words just those beginning words ruin us that this God we are talking about who we just read about, the God who landed up on Mount Sinai is here right now. Come here. You are here working in our We worship you. We worship you. Second verse, touching every heart, healing every heart. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you, I worship you. I worship you. I worship you. 
back to the first verse. You are here, moving in our place. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, in this place. I worship you. I worship you. One more time. You are here. Come church. You are here. I worship you. presence these things will be so natural you'll be miracle worker promise keeper light in the darkness you'll take care of us but you'll be this to others so we bless Mia father we bless her we bless her for leading us into your presence may this just be the beginning thank you guys what is the Lamb who was slain. If you know it, me, I sing it. Holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy. 
clothed with rainbows. Clothed with rainbows of living colors, flashes of lightning, peals of thunder. Jesus, your name. Jesus, your name is power, breath and living water. Such a marvelous mystery. Worthy is the first verse. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Oh, holy, holy is He. He's here. Sing a new song to Him who sits song. Heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and did this to come. With all creation I sing Praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything. And I will adore you. One more time. Holy, holy. Join the seraphim. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is this to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything and I will adore you. Thank you for this journey. You've begun us on. Looking forward to it, Father. Bless you guys. If anyone needs prayer, feel free to come up. and There'll be people that pray with you. Otherwise,